Hi, I'm Melina Morrison, CEO of the Business Council of Cooperatives and Mutuals. Cooperative farming is designed to help farmers, fishers and foresters through the formation of their new farming cooperatives. Today, Stephen Thandy, Chair of Group, a Coffs Harbour-based cooperative who are passionate about providing Australians with the freshest blueberries, raspberries and blackberries through sustainable farming. The Oz Group story is a fascinating journey of adaptability. Anyone who's driven up the mid-north coast of New South Wales has probably pulled to the side of the road and got a selfie with the big banana. But what you might not know is that bananas have now given way to berries in coughs. Our model here was sort of the growers had got together back probably in 2001 at one stage uh, when it first started, the berry farming area here, the growers away from bananas. And what happened with... It was growing so fast. Um, we ended up having about 60 members back in 2009, I think it was, and they wanted to look at another structure. Like at that time, it was a company set up, and I think you could only have um, 50 members in a proprietary limited company. And so by then, we had 60 members, and so we started looking around for another options. Uh, they didn't want to go into a partnership agreement. They didn't want to go public company, so the other option was going into a co-op. And that transpired in, I think we actually became a co-op in 2013. One of the most interesting parts of the Oz Group story is that the members, who were once fierce competitors, have worked together under a cooperative business model. And today, Oz Group has grown to be the biggest blueberry supplier in Australia, with an impressive turnover of $200 million a year. Here's our host, renowned agricultural journalist, Pete Lewis. Enjoy. Now, as I said, we're tonight joined by a businessman, farmer and a leader of one of Australia's most innovative cooperatives. The Oz Group is a locally owned and operated berry business on the north coast of New South Wales around Coffs Harbour and it has between 140 and 150 members. Stephen Thandy, you've been chairman since last year. Tell us a little bit about the Oz Group Cooperative. Pete, the Oz Group Cooperative is farmer-owned. It's essentially a packing pack house, and we offer other services uh, with it, like a distribution business. Our distribution is actually done through Driscoll's Australia, who is our marketing partners. We also offer basically a one-stop shop for our farmers. We have our own rural store they can actually get their farming needs from. We offer, we source genetics for our farmers from around the world. We also supply our agronomy and compliance team to our farmers. Now, the part of Australia where, you, where you're based, Stephen, is um, possibly best known uh, for bananas, and you had a bit of a hand in those yourself uh, as an introduction into agriculture and getting your hands dirty. Yeah, when I finished my HEC back in 77, I went into banana farming with my father. As years progressed, the industry wasn't going crash shot. Around the late 80s, my brother wanted to open up a glass business, and he asked me to go in with him on that. So I moved out of the uh, banana industry into a different sort of business. And you circled back to the farm though due to some what some problems with uh, one of your tenants the banana prices were going really bad around the early 2000 years and the tenant which i totally understand um, they couldn't make a living off the farming because i'd gone into glass i wasn't farming anymore so i'd leased that property out so he asked if he could break the lease i said not a problem at that stage 
Yeah, I said, look, I totally understand where you are, the industry's at. And obviously, yeah, obviously a few round the kitchen table discussions. And in the course of that, your wife suggested a completely different agricultural commodity, berries. Yeah, we when the tenant left the property, we actually he actually cleaned it up properly for us and uh, left it in a good state. And we uh, did a bit of hobby farming and we dibbled and dabbled in a few avocados and a few lemons and limes and stuff like that to, just to keep the farm clean. Um, and then one day she actually suggested, why don't we grow our own berries there? And that came out of from where she was working. Like she used to work for, we call it the big farm around here. And all her friends, as they transitioned from bananas to berries, all were living the big farm and going to work on their own farm. So she said, why are we going to berries? I was like, okay. Yeah, it was simple. Now, uh, the cooperative was first put in place about seven years ago after what I understand was a pretty comprehensive look at some other business models, company structures, different things. How did you and why did you settle on the cooperative approach? Our model here was sort of the growers had got together back probably in 2001 at one stage uh, when it first started, the berry farming around here, the growers away from bananas. And what happened, it was growing so fast. We ended up having about 60 members back in 2009, I think it was, and they wanted to look at another structure. Like at that time, it was a company set up, and I think you could only have um, 50 members in a proprietary limited company. And so by then we had 60 members, and so we started looking around for another options. Uh, they didn't want to go into a partnership agreement. They didn't want to go a public company, so the other option was going into a co-op, and that transpired in. I think we actually became a co-op in 2013. And did you know much about Personally, did you had you ever had much to do with that kind of approach? Were you aware of the others uh, in, in in your part of New South Wales? Growing up, I knew of the Banana Growers Federation, which was a co-op. Other than that, I had no idea to personally. And obviously, Norco, your milk supplier in that neck of the woods, has uh, has, has been a real standout. Yeah, Norco sort of there was a Norco um, uh, milk factory down at Urunga. And that's the only time I'd ever heard of Norco at that stage. They weren't really based around Coffs, like north of Coffsall, where we are. And was it your intention at the, at the outset to eventually find yourself onto the board? No, no, no idea at all. No intentions at all. I was quite happy sitting at home enjoying my beers. What was the trigger for you to get more involved in, in the direction of your co-op? It actually happened. One of my friends was stepping down from the board and... The board were looking for someone else to replace him with, and he actually mentioned my name. Um, they, asked, they asked him if you know he could come and visit or talk to me about it. I had no intentions even then, but when he said, "Oh, there's not much involved," you know, I said, "Okay, we'll see what happens." So that's when it all started. And I guess the fact that you did have a business background quite away from you know separate and distinct from farming and in glass, and I think in the aluminium game, uh, do you think that was a plus for you? Oh, definitely a plus. I had a, I knew how to run a business, definitely. The directors at that time, basically the only business they ran was their own farms and they, and the cult was growing so quickly at that time. So, yeah, I did have a bit more perception about running a business. And from a standing start by last year, Oz Group's turnover was uh, around 200 million. And I, I, and I guess those sorts of growing pains are the sorts of things every organisation or every cult uh, would like to have. But it obviously intrinsically means uh, you have to be on a very sound financial footing. 
Uh, Pet, firstly, you've got to get the right people around you. The business was growing so fast, uh, we're still in catch-up mode to where we should have um, people skills, even as we speak now. And do you have a wide range of experience on your board? Uh, we do. We obviously got a CEO, we have a financial officer, we've got four in the accounts department, uh, we've got supervisors in the factories, uh, we've got uh, people there, we're always looking out for a better skill set. And what about a spread of age groups? Because we hear so often that farming in this country is uh, an elderly person's pursuit, but you've been able to get a bit of young blood into your into the berry business and into your operation. Oh, our young blood's really good. They're passionate about the berry industry. They're passionate about the co-op. They're passionate about what they do. They go out there looking, you know, to new ways of doing things. Our Children here will go off to university and they'll come back into the family farms. They'll get the education and come back. I just know off recently, two of my friends, their sons have gone off to university, but they've got one eye back on their farm. As we've seen uh, throughout this series, a lot of the great lessons, a lot of the great mentorship and encouragement indeed comes from other cooperatives. Has that been the case with yours? Have you, have you looked out to other uh, existing and successfully run co-ops for some... Uh, some ideas and some... Uh, uh... I recently uh, reached out to um, the Geraldton Fishing Club, Basil over there, and asked me a few ideas, which he was very happy with to tell me about. And I actually um, can't recall the gentleman's name, but he was the ex-chairman of Armoured Co. I called him up for some ideas, you know, how we can do things. Uh, we're also part of the Northern Cooperative Alliance based around Lismore, you know, North Coast here. And they come up with some nice ideas to discuss. So and you get different ideas from different co-ops. Are you surprised at the, at the level of cooperation among cooperatives and, and the genuine you know, sort of comradeship virtually that other co-ops want to see new cooperatives succeed? Peter, I think we're all in the same boat sort of thing. In business, in my long years of business, I actually learned that even if you're a competitor, there's no harm in talking to the opposition. And I think if we all do the same in the cooperative sector, we'll still have the same underlying problems, but I think we can solve them together. If we can look in a little bit more detail about your co-op structure and the disciplines and the, the members and the member engagement, going back to the beginning, what was involved in, in setting it all up? How did you manage to convince the members that the cooperative model was the right way to go? And, and how did you come together as, I guess, former competitors almost to work cooperatively? that set up the partnership really at that time. What they would, from here, say what they were doing was when the prices were good in Norman, they'd all send their fruit to Melbourne. If it was good in Sydney, they'd send it to Sydney. They'd all, the market would collapse back in those days. So they decided to form a partnership together and send the fruit off to different markets at that time. And that seemed successful and other people wanted to be part of that business. And after a few years, as um, you know, by 2009, I think they had Oh, 60 members, so from there they went to the cooperative model. There was a bit of a teething prop issues at that stage uh, because the prior was a company and they had shareholders in there. The premises were owned by about 30 shareholders. They got eventually paid out and it took about three years to go to the cooperative model. And are those four original members, are they still involved and, and still part of your co-op? Oh, definitely, yeah. The families are still involved. The senior members of the families are sort of re retired or semi-retired and their sons have taken over the properties and actually really expanded it really well. 
was it a, a lengthy process for you to be able to convince and get the trust of people that the approach you settled settled on was really the way forward for you? The growers are very trusting, to be honest. They thought that's the best way of going because each and everyone had an equal uh, vote on it. It wasn't share-based, it was one vote per entity. So even a small grower had a vote and the larger growers had votes. So it wasn't a, it was very unfair to everyone. And as I indicated, you've, you've got now up to 150 members. Uh, is, there, is there, generally speaking, uh, you know, everybody's uh, pulling in the same direction? How do, you, how do you overcome any of the difficulties that arise from time to time with, with so many sort of free spirits, if you like? And, uh, you know. Yeah, re we have regular grower meetings, normally monthly before COVID-19 came into place. And there, the direct, we normally have about 40 to 50 members engaging in those meetings. There where the directors mainly attend, they make a point of attending those grower meetings. Uh, we have our executive uh, office presenting up-to-date figures to them. We also have um, a mark our marketers, Priscilla Australia, attend there to give what's happening in the markets. And on top of that, we'll actually invite guest speakers um, we've had from our industry body, Australian Blueberry Growers Association, their executive director come in to explain what they actually do for the industry. We've had uh, Department of Primary Industries, industry development officers there for blueberries. We've had land care. We've had Coffs Arbor Council come there to hand out pamphlets to pit growers could hand out to their contractors on their farm because a lot of their contractors are from foreign countries and to see what you know what's involved in going in the beach you know swim between the flags or even as such drive on the left hand side of the road so we engage with a lot of the community in that well uh, it's a very good it's a very good point uh, that leads us into just the wider impact uh, that cooperatives can have in their neighborhoods and in their uh, in their local communities and as we have seen so often throughout this series. The cooperatives um, are really an intrinsic part, an important part of the fabric of their local communities. Have have you seen Osgroup really develop in that way in the Coffs Harbour area and, uh, and the neighbouring communities? Yeah, we actively get involved in sponsorship. Annually, there's Lewis and Berries Festival held up here, which we sponsor. Then um, also we have a Curry Fest Festival up here we actually sponsor. We put sponsorship into junior sporting teams. We actually help. We actually, last year, we actually, first time, we had a colouring competition for the infant schools. And that went really well with the schools through the area. And the sponsorship obviously helps with the junior teams. We're talking with Pete Lewis and Stephen Thandy, chair of Oz Group, a Coffs Harbour-based cooperative, as we hear how former competitors formed a cooperative to solve problems together and thrive, as our Cooperative Farming podcast series continues. And is, is, is the berry industry an important you know, generator of employment in your area, Stephen? Uh, Pete, we actually employ 40 full-time staff year-round. In, in our pack house and you know the uh, associated um, business and then we will have up to 200 odd people in the pack house during the season and on top of that the farms could be employing up to three four thousand people during the harvest season and when and, and when's the when's the busiest time for you all uh normally september october gets a really busy period before that the season starts to ramp up but this year it's been a very very um steady one from about i think about april onwards you mentioned COVID-19. What has it done to the berry business and sales and demand for your product? 
It has affected sales in our Victorian markets. Victoria was always a strong market for berries. Sales, obviously, restrictions when people are going out to the supermarket and stuff like that. It has affected that. Uh, but fortunately, ours has been a steady season this year. We haven't hit a peak. And I think it'll go through steady for some, could have been from the drought last year, could have been the early wet weather we had this year. So there's multiple factors on that. Now, in terms of where your product goes, just how, you know, how extensive is the, uh, you know, the supply lines for you? Where Osgroup berries go and are you in the export biz? The Osgroup berries are marketed right around Australia. A lot of them go through Coles, Woolies, LB, Costco. Some end up on the market floor. They are right around Australia and Driscoll's Australia do the marketing for us on that behalf. Uh, the export market, we actually, again, Driscoll's the worldwide leader on that. They'll do the marketing for us, but that goes in our, out in our Group brand to the international markets. But the export market's really only probably a month in the year where you can really export. And is there is there any processing involved for, uh, for your products, Stephen? Are you adding value in, in, in some ways? Look, there is a process there. The value-added stuff, we're actually now looking at um, frozen berries, mm. which we should have on the Coles shelves in November. Uh, we're actually in the trial system now. We Last week, we actually trialled 200 kilograms of frozen berries, and from all reports, it came through really well. And there is other avenues we're touching on, so to actually have so all our growers' produce get used up. And will that be uh, an opportunity for you to sort of uh, scale up facilities, uh, processing and freezing facilities in the Coffs Harbour area? How, how will it work? And, and will that then involve uh, some significant sort of capital investment? Oh, we've put a fair bit of capital investment into that freezing line now. It'll be good, like it'll take care of all our berries that we sort of can't put in the top niche sort of thing. So other than getting rid of them, we'll be able to use it in frozen fairly good berries at that too, the good quality stuff. And when you look around the, the berry world, is the cooperative model a, a feature of where these crops are grown in other parts of the world? Oh, look, Pete, I sort of can't answer that one for you. There's, uh, I don't know about the cooperative models around the world for berries, to be honest. I think I, I really can't answer that for you, mate. Around now, Australia, I think we're the only berry cooperative. Your decision to uh, not only get on the board, but then assume the position of chairman, was that a logical step for you? I actually, when uh, the chair at that time stepped down, but he went in as a member of parliament. So there was a vacancy there. I actually suggested to two other guys that, that they do it. And they bluntly said, no, you do it. So <laughs> that's how I ended up in the chair. So they identified some uh, characteristics that you had, obviously some drive and clearly some business acumen, which they thought would serve Group pretty well. Uh, I think it was an age factor there, Pete. <laughs> I was way older than these guys, and I think, <laughs> I think they gave me due respect. <laughs> and as we said, look, you are, you are attempting to keep several balls in the air at the same time. You have other business interests in that part of the world. It must be a pretty full schedule for you. Oh, it is. I've, since I've taken the chair's job on, as a board of director, I've sort of walked or not, haven't walked away literally from my business, glass business. My brother's actually looks after a lot more than I do. I'll go in every now and then, um, just run my eyes over something. That's about it. And, but do you think there's been a, do they complement one another? And, and, and are there things you learn on uh, one side of your, 
your business operations and your business brain that you can employ and uh, adapt to uh, farming? In business, I learned a lot how to deal with people. You learn a lot of people skills. They came from all walks of life in the building industry. And sometimes you've got to keep quiet. Sometimes you've got to push back on them. And also in business, you always got to be looking out for opportunities. When we started um, just doing repair work in shower screens when we first started, we, then we got into aluminium windows and doors. It's another opportunity. Then we looked at what else can we do? We looked at security doors for people. So we actually gave people a whole package. And that's, you always got to go out there and look for growth. Uh, once you hit a peak somewhere, there's only one side of that peak, unless you keep reaching for another peak. And I'd like to think we're going to do the same at Osgood. We've still got to strive for more and more. That's terrific. Looking now to, to marketing matters, Stephen, and capital raising and looking to the future and innovation, how does the marketing strategy for the cooperative work? You know, we've noticed increasingly that the Oz Group brand itself is uh, more prominent in supermarkets. Uh, how did that come about and, and what impact has it had uh, on your sales? Uh, as mentioned earlier, we use Driscoll's Australia as a 100% marketing, but probably about a year ago, we actually started marketing under the Oz Group brand, uh, the 100% farmer-owned product sort of thing, you know, and that's come, we've gotten such good feedback on that. Everyone knew Ausgroup that we did berries, but they never saw the product on the shelves. Now they're actually seeing that product on the shelves. So it's been great branding. And as we've seen so often in this series, the backstory as, as consumers come to understand where the product's coming from, how it's produced, and indeed who produces it, it's an important part of your selling. And as you've told us already in our discussion today, it started quite modestly, pretty small packing shed, now to a truly world-class facility with automated packing lines. How do you continue to innovate? You, you said you're always scanning the horizon. And, and what else are you uh, interested in uh, perhaps investing in a medium to uh, short, you know, the short to medium term? We're always looking for something um, to improve performance, make sure our product goes out in first-class condition, minimise recalls. We actually had uh, metal detectors on all our packing lines before the store, needle in the store reissues. We're all done and dusted on that. We've just recently, our CEO and myself went up to Bundaberg recently. We actually saw a pick-and-pack machine up there, how they people were doing it up there. We installed that this year. Now, it's going really well, so we'll put more capex into that to make the more efficiencies in the pack house. We've, tried, we've done this frozen stuff now, so we're always out there looking for something new. The food safety issue that you touched on is obviously paramount to everybody who's in the food uh, mm. and uh, food supply game in this business, that you are sort of one incident away from a uh, devastating crisis. That's right, yeah. We've, um, through our uh, industry body, we've sort of, you know, got things in place, but at the end of the day, Anybody can do something stupid for you, but you have to get your own house in order first. Are you more confident now that you're better placed and have protocols in place to deal as swiftly as possible with anything like this in the future? I think we are. I think the issue that happened last year, I think was the year before, I think it's made everyone more and more aware of what's gonna, what is possible out there. We spoke uh, briefly about international markets. Um, how difficult is it to, to, to get a foothold in those? And uh, has the past six months thrown up any extra obstacles in the way of getting 
your fruit from the north coast of New South Wales right around the berry-eating world? You know, look, we use a marketing partner for that. We have sent fruit ourselves into Middle East. Hasn't been an issue. We've sent it into India a couple of years ago. Most of the stuff goes into existing markets in Asia. So to us at this stage, it hasn't been a big issue. In terms of the in terms of the actual crops themselves, how much research and development and, and genetic improvement is going on in your variety and where are you getting those leads from? We use two people for genetics. One's Driscoll's, who have worldwide genetics. They spend millions and millions of dollars into genetic development. And another one is a locally based firm out of um, Lismore called Mountain Blue Orchards and Ridley Belder, the owner of uh, Mountain Blue Orchards, he's, they call the guru of blueberry genetics in Australia, if not the world. Um, and we, we and what's the, yeah, what's the next hot thing in terms of genetics? What are you, what are you looking at creating? Something bigger, some more, uh, uh, with better shelf life? What is it? The shelf life is improving. In the old days, shelf life was about 18 days. Now it can vary up to 30 days. Um, so the genetics are absolutely improving and the size of the berries are getting larger too. Now, we did uh, touch on this a little earlier, but in terms of the value adding and in terms of, I guess, using the entire crop, the you know introduction of a capacity to uh, freeze some of your product, I guess, is um, uh, a really important part of your, fu your future as well. Oh, it is. That'll take um, a fair bit of pressure off our girls during the peak season. We'll be able to use that fruit into our frozen stuff, so which will hopefully sort of keep the prices a bit more buoyant than before. Now, in terms of the um, the all important issue of capital raising, how important was it to establish as early as you could a, a good relationship with banks? And did you find they had much of an understanding about how co-ops often uh, operated and uh, and their unique capacity to raise capital? Coffs Harbour's always been a strong agricultural town. Um, so the banks had a relationship with the existing farmers already. Even going back to 2001 when Osbury started up, the banks have moved with you. And as the co-op grew, the bank grew with us. We, as a co-op, have never had a problem raising funds. Um, only because even now, you've got the four major banks here. They'll come and talk to us and they'll see where the industry is heading or what the industry is up to. So we have a good relationship with the major banks here. So a pretty good uh, level of uh, agricultural literacy uh, in, in your local financial institutions. There is, yeah, yes. Oh, that's good. Now, look, uh, in terms of uh, some of the other outreach programs that you, you have in your community, uh, are you assisting growers with some of those agronomic uh, challenges and, uh, and as you said, the incorporation of the latest and greatest genetics uh, from yeah. either we, Bristol um, or... Yeah. With our agronomy team, we have three agronomists on our board in-house and since we've put our own agronomists on, we've, re we've um, noted that the growers are using less fertilisers, they're using less chemicals, they're using less water, uh, which helped because before we put our own agronomists on, we were actually using them agronomists from the, um, the firms that supply you the fertilisers and that. But our, our agronomists have gone in and done the hard jacker and we've cut back a lot of the stuff. With the agronomists, we have two compliance officers, which helps the farmers with day-to-day -day stuff, audits, and, you know, if they've got some issue with essential energy or NRA in New South Wales, 
Because a lot of our farmers, you know, English is not their first language. So they do need help a lot of times. And they reach out to our team. So a real one-stop shop in that regard. Your part of the world is a, is a particularly uh, uh, rapidly growing uh, and a very attractive place as more uh, people take a, a tree change or a seed change. Does it put you sometimes in, in conflict with other landholders or people moving in there and uh, opening subdivisions and things? Do you, you find you've got issues like that? Oh, we do have issues with um, landholders. It's normally in only certain pockets of the area. It's not broad base where you used to have the banana farms and that. It's not such a big issue. People just go for lifestyle and they want yes. 100 acres around them. It's agricultural land, but they are not so happy to have a farm pop up next door. It's the conundrum we see on you know, fringes of most of our significant cities and certainly regional cities as well. People move there for particular reasons, but to be closer to nature or closer to the farming environment, but they don't necessarily like what that involves. That's right. Hmm. I guess as we get to uh, uh, the end of our interview, Stephen, it would be good to get some thoughts from you about some of the important lessons uh, that you've learnt so far in the journey that help all sides of your uh, you know, business operations. What are some of the things that have really stuck out for you so far? I think one of the biggest lessons in a cooperative world is you've got to communicate a lot with your members. You know, you've got to actually let them know. To them, it's, at the end of the day, it's their business. They want to know everything of what's happening and they get involved in everything. The younger guys seem to actually move on a bit. They don't, they're quite happy with the board or the executives doing the jobs. But the older growers, um, because they're used to making the final decisions on their farm, they sort of get in your ear a bit. And you've got to keep explaining to them about the co-op model. It could be a month-on-month -month situation where you go over the same hash. Yeah, and that's a big thing in co-op, you've got to actually communicate and communicate clearly with your growers. And I guess to the extent that you can do that and do that successfully, you lay the foundations uh, for the future strength of your co-op. And I guess, in a sense, at the end of it, it comes down to the trust that you generate through a small number of members right up to the situation now where you've got nearly 150. The trust comes from basically living in this area too. It comes from knowing these families. Like my dad knew their dads. I, I knew other people and our kids grew up together, so they do have a trust factor there. They also trust your neighbour sort of thing. You know, if they'll go and ask them for advice and say, you know, what are you doing on your farm? And that farmer will give advice back. The trust is also in having regular grower meetings. Uh, the trust is there when the directors were open to these phone calls seven days a week. The trust is there, it comes out of, you know, the executives open to these guys knocking on the door, can we come in, we want to talk to you. So you've got to build that trust. Well, it sounds like things are proceeding pretty smoothly and firmly on that front, uh, Stephen Thandy. We really appreciate uh, your time today and your insights. Uh, it's been uh, fascinating to learn about the growth of the berry business in uh, the New South Wales North Coast. And uh, good luck with you and good luck as the season uh, rolls through. You can find out more about the fantastic benefits of cooperative farming and how to realise the incredible potential for your business at our website. This episode was followed by a roundtable to explore the concept of farmer-owned and how this concept feeds into the consumer zeitgeist about both Aussie-produced and paddock-to-plate. 
we wanted to examine how the cooperative business model fits into this concept. Stephen Thandy and I caught up with some special guests, each coming from a very different perspective, from specialised niche products that are building their brand, like the Eat Truffles Cooperative. What was very important with forming a co-op is everybody who has joined us realises that they have economies of scale now in order to expand our truffle industry. And all the individual members have ownership. And ownership, I think, is essential uh, with any particular co-op. You can see this video on our website at coopfarming.coop. And don't forget to subscribe now to the series and rate us. You'll learn the benefits, tips and techniques of cooperatives as we future-proof Aussie farmers. In our next episode, we talk with Emma Robinson. She's the founder of the Beef Collaboration Project. Remember, in a challenging world, we're all better together. I'm Melina Morrison. Thanks for listening.